The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at overlandpark.cc. Uh, welcome. If you are new, I'm Shay. I'm an associate pastor on staff. I'm so grateful that you have joined us this morning. If you're not new, it's good to see your smiling face. Brother Sean, I see you back there, man. It's good to see you. Um, so, and if you're joining us online, uh, I want to be the first to welcome you and thank you so much for taking uh, time with us this morning to join us and, and share in fellowship with the Lord. So, as Corey mentioned, it was funny. Corey had a yellow guitar and a yellow background, man. Nice job coordinating. Uh, but we've got a lot of color going on in here, man. Like, if you go downstairs, it's like, whoa, man, things are happening. Uh, really excited. Jimmy and Corey and Sean and Coy and several other people have worked their tails off this week to uh, really get going on the remodeling downstairs. And so it's actually kind of fitting for what we're talking about uh, here in the text today. So we are in the book of Philippians and uh, we're, we're going to pick up in Philippians chapter 2. Verse 19, okay, so if you want to turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, we're going to pick up in verse 19. And he says, um, this this is the Apostle Paul, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone else looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, I underline that, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. We'll pause there. Man, so you can tell that uh, Paul absolutely loved Timothy, right? Like his beloved son in the faith. Paul led Timothy to the faith. And he wants to send him to the Philippian church. Now, Paul loved the Philippian church. The Philippians are kind of in direct contrast with the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was kind of a problem child for Paul. You read through the book of Corinthians, um, ask my D group, as we're going through the book of Corinthians in discipleship, man, it feels hot and heavy, right? But Philippians is real encouraging. Paul was basically saying uh, to the Philippian church uh, as a whole, man, you guys are like, you're on the right track. Like you're, you're doing all of the right things, man. Your heart is in the right place. Just, you know, keep it up. And in fact, uh, we're going to read here in just a second that the Philippian church actually, so Paul's writing this from Rome, the Philippian church actually sent Paul uh, a substantial amount of care by way of fellowship. They sent him brothers to uh, encourage him while he was in prison. They sent him money. They sent him portions. Um, They were very uh, generous to, to the apostle Paul, to their brother in the faith, Paul. And so anyway, but Paul wanted them to know that, man, he wanted Timothy uh, to be able to join them and continue with them in the good work of the gospel. But he also wanted them to know, man, hey, I want to see how things go with me here in Rome. Like Paul obviously had no idea um, kind of the outcomes of his life. Paul modeled that very well. We don't always know what the outcomes of our life are. But I like how it starts right off the bat in verse 19. He just says simply, I hope in the Lord Jesus. 
Like if you don't do anything in life but hope in the Lord Jesus, you're in a good spot, right? And uh, that's exactly what the, uh, the Apostle Paul did. So he, he wants to send Timothy to the Philippian church, um, uh, but it's, he says it's on the Lord's timing, right? Like he, he, he wants to be there, Timothy, he wants to send Timothy, but he's not really sure. Um, and so let's, let, let's pick up in verse 25. He says, but I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. I'd probably, we'd call him Epaph. Um, my br- listen to this. He says, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. I'll pause there. So I want to break down the fact that Paul addresses Epaphroditus as a brother, a worker, and a soldier, right? So a brother speaks to a relationship to be enjoyed, right? A, a worker speaks to a job to be done, and a soldier, a battle to be fought. And man, I just think like, I literally experienced that like with the staff this week as I think about what God has done in our spiritual family. Like I was encouraged to have some like brotherly love, some sisterly love. We had the, the staff over at our house uh, on Monday night. And man, it, we just uh, got to just hang out. Like Corey and Christina and Sean and Sophie and Jimmy and Abby and the kids came over and like, we just hung out, man. We grilled some food and chilled in the backyard, played washers, and uh, we just shared in fellowship. Like these are spiritual family is our relationships to be enjoyed, right? Like that's uh, important. Like a couple Saturday, last Saturday night, right? We went over to Preston's and we, we watched some fights and, and had a good time. Preston cooked some really good ribs, surprisingly. Surprised he didn't burn them. <laughs> but uh, no, man, it's like your relationships, brotherly love, man. Like there's something about uh, enjoying and spending time with spiritual family that's different than just just a normal friend. And Epaphroditus was this kind of spiritual brother to the Apostle Paul, and he, but he was a worker. Like, he, he, he had a job to be done, right? Like, um, like, clearly here at the church, like, this is, yes, I mean, if, if all we did was just have fun, we would be falling short of the call of God in our life, right? So there's work to be done. We got stuff to do, right? And like Jimmy, man, he's probably pushing the buck pretty hard this week, wanting to get that stuff painted, man, and get it knocked out, right? It's like, hey, we, we had a little time for some brotherly love, but, man, we got to get to work, right? we got a job to be done. Um, and I think that's really important both in the kingdom but also just in life. Um, there is work to be done, believe it or not. And then a soldier, man, a battle to be fought. And, like, I appreciate Sean and Corey, like, leading us in worship and, like, fighting the enemy with worship, man. Like, the, like the devil... It's just beating me up all week long and all morning long about just stupid stuff. And I can tell that it's him, but he's still there chirping at me and trying to get me down. And all of a sudden, man, we crank up the worship and, dude, he's out of there, you know. Like, they're helping me fight, like that good fight, right, as I'm fighting for myself and for you guys um, to, to press on toward the upward call of God in Christ. Like, I was feeling like in my own Weakness, I'm like, oh, no, man, the devil's like, he's hitting me here and here and here, you know. And then Sean's like, out of there. And here I am, right. I'm, I'm, I'm filled with the spirit and ready to preach. So um, Epaphroditus, man, the relationship that him and Paul had, what a joy. Um, but he's, listen to this though, in verse 26. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Like if you get the sense that um, the Philippian church sent Epaphroditus to 
provide for the needs of Paul, a long journey, no doubt, and he became ill. It actually says, indeed, verse 27, he was ill and almost died. He almost died. Like, he was so sick, he almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. He's saying, dude, I would have been crushed if he passed dipped out on me, right? Like, I, I, it, he's like, God, not only did he, ha, did he spare Epaphroditus from dying on his journey to um, lift me up, but he said, but God spared me sorrow upon sorrow. Like, I would have been devastated if Epaphroditus, you know, would have died, right? Um, and, but I, I like that Epaphroditus um, was distressed because he heard um, that the Philippian church heard that he was ill. Like, he was concerned that, man, he, like he, was fo- he was a man of focus, right? He was like, man, God has called me to do this, and if the job doesn't get done, like, like he was concerned. Like, he wanted them to know that, like, what they had commissioned him to do was going to um, be fulfilled to completion. And we're going to come back, uh, we're going to come back to that. He says, uh, therefore, uh, in verse 28, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. I circled that in my Bible. It's comforting to know the Apostle Paul struggled with some anxiety from time to time. I literally texted my wife yesterday. I, so I had a funny weekend. I, was out, I sold a farm to a good friend of mine and a, and a client um, down in Osage County, sold a farm to him. We closed on it Friday morning, and we went out for a long day of work on the farm, man, trimming trees and uh, mowing and f- spraying plots. And, I mean, we were having a great time, but it was, like, super ultra mega hot. And apparently, I'm not that old, but as I age, um, my hair would lead you, otherwise, lead you to believe otherwise, but uh, I, I'm, like, becoming heat sensitive. So, anyway... We're out there, and I'm fired up, man. Like, we want to get the perfect stand and the perfect tree. And, I mean, we're sawing, like, really big trees, and I was admittedly probably just way overzealous. Like, we probably should have hung in this tree over here, but I picked the worst, nastiest, bushiest spot to clean out. And Anyway, we're getting some work done. And kind of, like, late in the day, I'm like, boy, it's not feeling so hot. I mean, I was going down, and I've kind of had some heat exhaustion before. And it was, I mean, Jimmy knows. Jimmy actually has me on video it's really embarrassing, but he has a video of me like very close to blacking out in my truck after an, another work day on the farm. So I'm not very good at throttling myself apparently. But anyway, so I left my truck at the farm. Steve had to drive me home. Super embarrassing. I had to leave my truck and everything at his farm. I'm like, dude, I can't drive. Like seriously, I am sick. And so I come home and the kids are like, daddy, where's your truck? I'm like, long story, kids. Dad, dad got a little sick. And, um, Anyway, so I had to have my wife yesterday drive me all the way back down to uh, Melbourne to get my truck, which for you ladies wondering where my wife was at the women's event yesterday, she was driving her silly husband down to pick up his truck on, the, on Steve's farm. So anyway, we're coming back, and I had a big uh, open house on this movie theater that I'm selling. I kind of mentioned that last week to you guys, and that's been an interesting experience, but definitely really chaotic. And, and so, anyways, I was tired, and I was driving um, to try to scramble to get ready for this drive-in movie theater, which we had literally over 75 people show up to this open house, and I was like, oh, my gosh. And I texted my wife, and I was like, my anxiety is just through the roof right now. Like, it's just, 
I feel like pretty overwhelmed and I'm like, I kind of just want to run away from all this, um, but know that that's not what God called me to, so I kind of had to press into it. But as I was reading and preparing for this this week, I was reminded, man, the Apostle Paul had some anxiety as well, so uh, I shouldn't beat myself up. Verse 29, so then welcome him in the Lord. He's telling the Philippian church to welcome him back in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help that you yourselves couldn't give me. I just, um, I put a little star here. I wanted to just share this. I read this um, just directly uh, out of a commentary, and it says, uh, this was a a pastor um, that I listened to, and he said this. I just thought it was really good. He said, we should have the heart like Epaphroditus, that there's something lacking in our service. Not, not, we're not talking about earning salvation here. We're just talking about service to the Lord. We should have the heart that there is something lacking in our service until the job is done. We should not be satisfied with good intentions or a half-done job. I just thought, man, like that, not only is that just good advice like in life, but it's very applicable to our spiritual life as well. Like It's not... Um, and we hear this in discipleship a lot or in the context of following Jesus. Like, you know, you'll ask somebody, hey, man, what does it mean to make a disciple, you know? And it's like, well, I don't know, man, like just like kind of like shine the light, you know? Like shine the light, man. And you're like, dude, that is so vague. Like, be what? I mean, yes, Jesus says to be the light of the world, but man, there's a lot more in there. Like, I'm not saying you have to do certain things to earn your salvation, but I'm saying, man, like, what does it mean to fulfill the call of God in your life? Like Epaphroditus, man, the job needs to be done, right? He was getting sick, but he was worried that the job wasn't gonna get done. Like, that's how serious he took the job that God had him do. And so it's kind of like, you know, we should... um, it, it, in, in, the, in the real estate world, we call that the gra- just grandpa's work ethic, man. Like, we don't want to hire anybody within the company that doesn't have grandpa's work ethic, right? It's like, like grandpa used to say, when, when, when do you get to go home? I remember he used to work, working with my grandpa. He used to do all sorts of odds and ends projects. And I'd be like, grandpa, when do we get to go home? He'd be like, boy, when the job's done. That's when we get to go home, right? <laughs> and I know Jimmy's like, yeah, man, we were home 4 o'clock morning, right? But that's true. Like, you know, when, when do you get to go home? When the job's done, man. Not, not because it's 4 p.m. and that's when the rest of the world goes home, you know. And so I just think, man, we're soft. Like, the world is really soft. Um, and, and definitely in the context of the church, like, we've gotten weak. Like, the Lord is like, man, we are laborers. We are, we're brothers, we're workers, and we're soldiers. Like, you need to start to identify uh, with those descriptive parts of, if those aren't an uh, integral part of your personality, like, you are weak in the kingdom of God. Uh, and so, man, I hope that's a challenge to you. Stepping into chapter 3, man, this is where it gets really, really good. And he, listen to what Paul says. Further, my brothers and sisters... Rejoice in the Lord, exclamation point. I love that. Rejoice in the Lord. Paul is literally writing this from prison. He says, furthermore, rejoice in the Lord. He said, it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. He says, man, I know that I've repeated myself, but he says, I'm not sorry for it. 
It's good for me to repeat these things to you. It's good for me to review the same things with you over and over. The expectations of God on your life haven't changed. They're the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, right? Like sometimes as a preacher, it feels like, man, I've preached this sermon 20 times. The Lord is like, it's good, man. Like keep preaching it. It's good for me to write the same things to you. It's good for me to preach the same things over and over. Why? It's a safeguard for you, right? I noticed in... Second Peter, you don't have to turn there if you, it's just a short few verses, but Peter affirms this same teaching. He says in Second Peter chapter 1, I'm in verse 12, Peter says, so I will always remind you of these things, speaking of the scriptures, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth that you now have, I think it is right to refresh your memory. As long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside, he's saying I'm not far from death, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I'll make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things, right? And so I've, I've been guilty of this in my own reading time or abide time or study time is like sometimes I'll read through like the Gospels, right? And you're like, man, I've, re- I've read the Gospel of John like 55 times at least, probably more. But man, what a weak-minded approach like as I get into the Scriptures. Like I, I need to realize, man, um, I'm probably missing like something that the Lord may want to say to me in that moment like, John 3 is just as valuable today as it was five years ago as it will be five years from now. Like, it's, it's extremely applicable. And so um, don't let the scriptures, like, or your knowledge of them or your, um, you've been a Christian for a long time, don't let that lull you to sleep. I wrote repetition is important for retention. Like, we're supposed to... Uh, Write the word of God on our minds and on our hearts, right? Like sew it into the fabric of your DNA. Put the word of God in your life. And so he says, uh, listen to this. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Man, we have a lot of those in today's world. There are a lot of people in the church that are saying and preaching and teaching and believing some things that are way outside of the truth of the word of God. I mean, it is crazy, man. Like literally, and I won't use the name, I won't use the name of the institution because it is totally irrelevant. But literally like one of the most popular churches in America is like, performing like legitimate like heretical acts on stage and it's going like largely unnoticed by people in the church community like they're literally like pounding sticks on the stage and like chanting weird things to people and wearing funny clothes and like saying things that are completely unbiblical And people are just kind of like glazing right past it, like it's not that big a deal. In fact, there's more people getting in line to get behind that movement than they're saying, whoa, like that is a serious problem, right? Paul's saying, man, watch out. But he's mainly, in the context of Paul's day, what he's really getting at is 
the Judaizers, right? You guys are familiar with this term. They were the Jewish people that would follow Paul into the towns that he would preach in, whether it was Philippi or Colossae or Corinth or whatever. Paul would go and preach or teach or plant a church, and these Judaizers would follow. So Paul would preach grace, right, and truth, and the gospel, and the Judaizers would come in and they would sow legalism right behind it. And it would confuse the church. And so that's why Paul, almost in every letter, to some degree, he returns a message back to the church that he planted, warning them about legalism. Through the entire, half the book of Romans is about that. Um, but it's in every letter that Paul wrote, a, a, a sincere concern for the people to guard against legalism, right? You guys, we need to be reminded that, um, you know, these Judaizers, what they would do is they would say, yeah, I mean, you can believe in Jesus as Messiah, that's fair, but you got to be circumcised, or you have to honor this Sabbath day, or you have to follow this law or that law. And it was like they're adding to the gospel, and that isn't the gospel. And Paul is saying that's evil. He called them evildoers. Like he's, he makes it very clear that that is contrary to the intentions of God. They are the mutilators of the flesh. Listen to this, though, man. This got me. Verse 3, he says, and I'm in chapter 3, verse 3, for it is we who are the circumcision. Paul says, not only do we not need to like, do the circumcision uh, in order to be saved, it's our faith in Christ that actually we are the circumcision. He says, we who serve God by his spirit, we who boast in Christ Jesus, and then underline this, who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. I'll go into those reasons here in a second. But man, I just want to be vulnerable with you guys. One of the things I've struggled with for the last year or two is this idea of like Sabbath. You know, it's like, man, I feel like, I'm, I mean, like I've got a lot going on in my life and I'm busy and, and like, I just felt like uh, I've struggled with the Sabbath. Like, uh, like, you know, it's like, okay, I know it says in the scripture, God rested on the seventh day, you know? And, but what I realized in reading this was like, man, the, like, the Sabbath, I am entering, I am honoring the Sabbath when I'm placing my faith in Christ. Like, he fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. Like, God required a Sabbath day's rest, but Jesus fulfilled it. He fulfilled the entirety of the law. And so when I place my faith in him, as long as I'm resting in him, I can Sabbath seven days a week. But if I'm not resting, if there's no rest in my heart, it's not because I'm not honoring the Sabbath by taking one day off to do nothing. It's because I'm not resting in Christ. That's the difference, man. And that like kind of just even freshly this week, it kind of broke me free a little bit. It was like, you know what? I've been guilty of some legalism there, like trying to feel like, man, you know, it's just what I do in my life, the way my life is set up, which I believe is, is led and designed by God, makes it very difficult to just check out for a whole day. I mean, people think I'm shady and like, dude, this guy's not answering his phone, you know, or it's, it's, I'm not saying you can't take a day off. What I'm saying is like for me to take a, 
a full day and do nothing and like Sabbath like the Jews would, right? Like can't even go up elevators and that kind of thing, right? Literally do nothing for a day. People would be like, that guy's shady, man. Like, what is he doing? Like, he didn't answer. He's not, you know, he's calling me, texting me this day, and then he just blanks out on me the next. That, that's almost like a poor witness. It's like, wait, where'd this guy go, you know? And so it's like, oh, hey, man, I'm Sabbathing, bro. I'm Sabbathing. You know, I'm honoring God. I'm honoring God. I'm doing my thing, you know? It's like, no, dude, I'm, I need to rest in the Lord, trust those relationships, trust him with everything that I have, trust him with my phone, with my business, with my life, with my kids, with my health, I have, to, I have to rest in him, and I can Sabbath seven days a week if I'm doing that. Man, that just was really important for me to come to that realization um, that, uh, you know, the Old Testament Sabbath, I wrote this down, just this is more for, for my own understanding. The Old Testament Sabbath was a type of greater things to come, right? And so that's exactly what Jesus did. Uh, and, and in Matthew 5, right, in Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says, I have come not to abolish the law. The law is not bad but I've come to fulfill it, right? And so by faith in Christ, we keep the righteous requirements of the law. Listen to this. Uh, Paul says, I put no confidence in the flesh. And so I ask you guys this question. Is your confidence in, in your standing before God, is it based on what you do or what he's done? And like a good question that, to ask people as you're, you're kind of, you know, witnessing to them um, is, is, is ask them, you know, a question like, uh, if there's a ticket to heaven, what is it? If there's a ticket to get into heaven, what is it? You'd be amazed at the answers you get, right? The majority of the answers that you'll get are, well, man, you know, like if, the, if, if my good deeds outweigh my bad, like surely God will be pleased with me, Right? Like, that, that seems super rational, it, but it's completely false, according to the gospel. You know, it's your good deeds uh, will never outweigh your bad deeds. Like, you're a sinner. You're, you sin before a holy God, right? And that's what Jesus came to pay for that. So, man, you cannot earn your way to heaven. That's what we mean. You're, you cannot stand confident before God if, if you're believing that what you've done in the flesh or on your own doing is going to earn you God's favor. Because it's not. It's not going to. So you need to stop trying. And like we all fall guilty into this, but especially before we come to Christ, like I think the worldview of, of God, the, 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 the Judeo-Christian God, Jesus Christ, the, the God that we worship, I think a lot of people think he's like most of the time like kind of an angry God. And like if you don't kind of do what he says, wow, he's they right there to whack you, you know. And it's like, hey man, is he going to church? No, you know. Is he did he did he did he wear the suit and tie? No, you know. Did he Sabbath? No. It's like people think he's just gonna whop you, dude, like a whack-a-mole. And that is not the Lord, man. That is that is a false god. Like who would want to worship that god? Not me. Like, I want to worship the God that wants to be in relation with me and who completely washed my sin white as snow and says, I love you because you're a sinner, and now I want you to follow me, and I'll make you like me, and you tell others about me. And I love you just the way that you are. That's the kind of God that we're worshiping. Man, religion doesn't work. Like, religion does not work. Like, if you ever talk to a religious person, it's like, oh, man, sickening. It's just like, dude, you are, it's, and it's not a judgment thing. It's just like you look at that person, you're like, how exhausting, dude. You're trying to please God, man, and he loves you. You just got to confess that you're a sinner, dude. That you, are, you just admit your brokenness before God and let him love you. 
And then enjoy a relationship with him. Talk to him when you're on the road. Talk to him, you know, pray with him. But like, dude, pray with him if you want to, but if you don't pray, he's not mad at you. Now, don't be afraid to receive the chastising of the Lord, right? Like he's a good father, he's a good parent. Like he, will, he may come down a, a little heavy-handed from time to time, but that's what a good dad does, right? When my kids are, 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 are screwing around and messing up habitually, and I'm like, yo, boys, what is going on, man? You're disobeying your mother. I told you to clean your room. You didn't eat your dinner. You spilled food all over the floor. What are we doing? Come on, Come on man. Get, get, Got to get the place cleaned up, man. You know, like, I'd be a lazy dad if I didn't do that, right? But they know I love them. They get their stuff done. I come right back. I say, boys, nice job. You ready for a baseball game tomorrow? You want to go get some ice cream after the game? I love you guys. Sleep good. Let's pray before we go to bed, right? You know, it's like, man, just love them. Have a relationship with them. That's how the Father is with us. Put no confidence in your flesh. You can't do it. I can't do it. I cannot please God. I've tried, but I am terrible at it, really bad at it. So stop trying. Put no confidence in the flesh. Listen to Paul. He says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I got more. He's like, I got way more, okay? He's like, you, he's like, if you think you've done, man, you've prayed a bunch, you've tithed a bunch, you've gone to church a bunch, you've worn the suit and tie, you held the door for old ladies, you've done all of it, man. He's like, wait till you hear what I've done. He's like, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin specifically. He said, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I like that he says that. He said, I wasn't just a Hebrew. He's like, I was a good Hebrew. That's like saying, I wasn't just Catholic, I was a good Catholic, you know? It's like, when I was a, like a heathen before I knew Jesus, I wasn't just a heathen, but I was a good one. I was a real good heathen. That's kind of what Paul's saying. I was a, a Hebrew of Hebrews, okay? He says, in regarding the law, the Pharisee, like he fulfilled the law like to the T, man. Like he had the thing memorized, as for zeal, he's like, if you want to talk about passion, he said, persecuting the church. Like, he was saying, man, I was there when they were stoning Stephen, the first martyr who died for faith in Jesus Christ. He said, I was there saying, yeah, kill that guy. Like, I was the, he said, I was the loudest one in the crowd. He was fired up. He said, but as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He's like, you want to talk about following the law, boys? I was nails. But... Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He said, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And that knowing there is an experiential knowing. It's a relational knowing of God-man himself, Jesus Christ, for whose sake I have lost all things, right? Jesus said, if you want to find your life, you must lose it. He said, I've lost all things. He said, I, I count everything, man. He said, I was the most religious person that you could have dreamt up. I was the man. And yet I would count all of that as rubbish, complete and utter garbage before the Lord. He said, I would trade it all in, all the Bible studies, all the, all the robes, all the memorizing, all the everything, anything that I did to try to please God, I throw it all away for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus my Lord. And verse 9, and to listen, be found in him. 
not having a righteousness of my own or having no confidence in the flesh, right? That comes from the law. But that which is through underlined faith in Christ. It's faith alone in Christ alone, man. That's the secret sauce. The righteousness that comes from God, again, on the basis of faith. That's your foundation. It's that you believe Jesus did what you are incapable of doing. He says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection, to participate in his sufferings. Listen to that. Man, the Christian life is not easy, okay? Like when you confess and give your life to Jesus, man, he is going to ask you to do some things like our brother Epaph did, right? He may send you all the way across the globe with a sack full of money, and you might get sick and come close to dying, but if you are known in the power of his resurrection, participate in his sufferings, become like him in his death, and then somehow attain the resurrection from the dead. It's worth it, man. That's what he's saying. It's worth it. Like, dude, you're going to do things in ministry that just aren't fun. And whether you work like on staff at a church or whether you are in ministry, like we're all in ministry to some capacity, God's going to call you to do things that you really don't want to do. He's going to call you to paint the whole basement in a week. That sucks, man. It's not fun. Dude, I like, it's okay, you know. It's like, man, it, it, that is not fun. Nobody likes painting baseboards. If you do, that's weird. Um, you can come to my house because I got a lot of ugly baseboards you could paint. But it's like, man, God's going to ask you to do some things. Like, like I kind of gave that example uh, last, last week about the drive-in movie theater. Man, I'm done with that thing. I don't want to sell it. It's, it's way overwhelming me. I'm totally done with that thing, but I hear the voice really loud in my, in, in my head. Because I'm like, Lord, man, these, these people aren't going to come to know Jesus. They're not going to do this. Man, these people are like, this is not it. And he's like, dude, sell the drive-in. Like, quit worrying about that, man. You're not God. I am. Just sell the stinking drive-in, man. That's all I asked you to do. Now just keep it simple, stupid. That's what my dad used to say. And that's what I hear the Lord telling me, right? Keep it simple, man. Just sell the drive-in, dude. Quit worrying about their salvations and whether you're bearing fruit for the kingdom of God and blah, blah, blah. Sell the drive-in, man. It's like quit overcomplicating it. But don't be afraid to participate in his sufferings. But, man, that attaining the resurrection from the dead, that is indeed what it's all about, man. We are waiting the great and glorious day where Jesus comes back. And whether he raptures us or whether I get personally raptured through my own death or whether literally how the end is all going to play out, I don't know, but I don't care. I know that it is in Jesus' hands, and that's where I am resting, and I want to be found in him. That's all that matters. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.